Well, folks, Kajimaratas Shibsha is Jerry Adams and Shaw or on La Bra Gal and You. August Tasola Gongawe, Ahanrod Egyart, Libsha Gulyar. So, what about this podcast? What will we talk about uh, this week? I suppose we can't get away from what's happening within uh, unionism and loyalism and the recent loyalist-sponsored violence and the provocative and inflammatory language of unionist political leaders has led to speculation about what the violence is really all about. Now, I don't think I'm on my own in uh, my view that it's in part an electoral strategy to maximise the unionist vote behind the DUP in advance of next year's assembly election. But it's also a reaction to the general direction, to the trajectory of politics being shaped by the process of change, including the potential of constitutional change in the relatively near future. It's about intimidating nationalists and republicans. It's about pushing back against the growing demand for the Irish government to begin planning for the unity referendum that is part of the Good Friday Agreement. Brexit, the Irish Protocol, with its border in the Irish Sea, has played its part. It's all these things and more, and I suppose may also be a realisation by some unionists that things are changing. And rather than embrace the change, because the best change is managed change, they go into this type of uh, meltdown. But really, it's also part and parcel of the traditional unionist response to anything perceived as threatening its dominance. Unions look around them and see their electoral majority in the Assembly in Westminster gone. They see political and demographic changes taking place at spell and end to the long-held belief that the Northern State will have a unionist majority in perpetuity. And of course, they've also been deserted and backstabbed in the chest again by a Westminster government that negotiated the very protocol that the DUP now denounce. And the recent period has also been marked by significant strategic mistakes by the DUP leadership in particular and unionist leaders generally. They gave us Brexit and that has brought everything else that comes with it. And people aren't stupid. They know this. And be assured that the leaders of the DUP know this also that what they have been doing is not popular within sections of what they would have taken as their own base. So the winds of change are blowing in a gale around unionism, and they don't like it. The DUP East Antrim MP Sammy Wilson called for guerrilla warfare and said that the protocol has to be destroyed and that the Weekend last, it was reported that the UVF 
one of the groups that the DUP recently met, ordered three families believed to be Catholics out of a housing estate in Carrickfergus. And I think, and I don't have any special insights into this, the decision to shift the protests from areas like Newton Abbey to the Larnack Way interface last week was calculated. Now, maybe it wasn't. Maybe these kids just took the head staggers and went off in that direction. But, you know, there's lots of stuff and it came in on my uh, account as well and social media urging loyalists to meet at various interface areas to march on West Belfast. Now, I know that senior loyalist figures have said disregard these and so on and so forth, but there's somebody stirring it out there. The intent is, it was, to create sectarian conflict. And that means just when we're dealing with this issue of conflict, that the PSNI should not be using plastic bullets, water cannons or dogs. That wouldn't happen if these events happened in London or Birmingham or other places in England. So there's now been a, a lapse. There are lots of uh, threats that these events are going to continue. And I think we have to be very, very, very vigilant. And I also think we have to very firmly put on our anti-sectarian Gansies, our anti-sectarian jerseys. These kids, I, I, I spoke about it in my last podcast, that are riding in the interface. And I know these are very localised events. They're not, they're not of the Battle of the Bog side, uh, or even the Battle of Ballamurphy or the Battle of the Short Strand, or Bella McCarrot, but they're nonetheless depressing, and they're nonetheless a huge distraction. And of course, someone could get seriously hurt, or someone could get uh, killed. So, what role does the Assembly have in all of this? What role does the Good Friday Agreement process have in all of this? And the reality is it's 23 years since the Good Friday Agreement. Indeed, the anniversary of the agreement was last week. And since then, both unionist parties, the UUP and the DUP, they've worked within the institutions to frustrate and delay the introduction of many of the equality, justice and legacy changes promised by the Good Friday Agreement and subsequent agreements. And... You know, Martin McGinnis put it very well, God rest him, when he said one time, we're in power sharing with the unions because we want to be. They're in power sharing with us because they have to be. And from their point of view then, it's about delay and dilution and and we have a number of issues which are outstanding uh, that need to be dealt with as soon as possible, notwithstanding what else is happening. There, there may have been a, a, a comprehensible reason with the pandemic and the, the emergency that was created around all of that, that everybody in the executive had to concentrate on that and fair play to them. And I, I applaud the work that's been done there. But now there's plenty of space 
to bring in these measures long promised. So I suppose it's this fear of change that is driving the current unionist agenda. And change can be difficult in our own lives and in society. It, it can be very challenging. Both it's part of the human condition that you know we, we like to have certainties in our lives. But there can be no backtracking on the changes that have occurred and will continue to take place in the time ahead. The process of change has to go on. Democratic change must be defended. Constitutional change arrived at peacefully and democratically must be respected. And if people want to protest against any of that, the Unionists are as entitled and the Loyalists are as entitled to those protests as any of the rest of us. But it has to be peaceful and it has to be non-threatening and it has to be non-sectarian. Everybody has the right to equality, to respect and the parity of, of esteem and that must be accepted and upheld by all. One thing is certain, whatever the outcome of the debate on the constitutional future of the North, the economic and societal changes that we have witnessed in the last two decades will continue. My appeal to unionists is to join with us in managing that change in the interest of all. My appeal to those who live in those deprived loyalist areas and those influencers in those areas is to join with everybody else because, you know, despite the envy that sometimes is uh, voiced, any improvements in the life of the Republican constituency of West Belfast is because the people of that constituency brought it about themselves. And we want to work with loyalists to do the same thing for the brave people within their streetscape, within their families, within their networks. So let's all join together, whatever our view is of the constitutional issue. Let's join together to reverse sectarianism, to get rid of division, and to bring about the much needed uh, prosperity process that is required and you know, the people will decide the future. In due course, when the referendum comes, the people will decide what type of Ireland we're going to live in. And we will all have a vote in that process. Speed the day. Many of you will know that uh, this year marks 40 years since the 1981 hunger strike. It's hard to believe that it's 40 years ago and it was a traumatic and a difficult and an historic year which undoubtedly shaped future politics on this island in ways none of us could have foreseen at that time. Last Friday week was the day Bobby Sands won the Fermanagh South Tyrone seat and became the MP for Fermanagh South Tyrone. 
That was on the 9th of April, a mighty day. The by election had been called following the death of Frank McGuire, the independent nationalist MP who successfully won the seat in 1979. On another occasion, he saw off the challenge by the SDLP's Austin Curry. And Frank McGuire was actually a former political prisoner himself. And his untimely death at the height of Bobby's hunger strike kicked off a serious discussion about the possibility of the National Smash Hates Block Armagh campaign running prisoner candidates. It was Jim, McG- Jim Gibney who first, to my recollection, thought we should run a prisoner. Bernadette McCollisky, Bernadette Devlin, had said she was prepared to stand. This is before there was any uh, notion of running a prisoner outside of the very small circle who was discussing it. And Frank McGuire's brother, Noel, uh, was also being considered as a candidate. However, when the decision was taken to stand Bobby, Bernadette and Noel withdrew. And the SDLP's Austin Corey wanted to stand, but he couldn't get his act together before nominations closed. So that was the the first step in the campaign, the big decision that Bobby would stand, and then securing his nomination and trying to make sure that he had uh, a clear field. And uh, the reality is that while the people who had got Frank McGuire elected and others who previously had got Bernard McCallisky elected, you know, people across that sort of west of the Bond area, which have been contesting elections on abstentions, ticket or other ways, they, they had some experience of how to run an election. But the Sinn Féin activists, of whom I was one, had no idea of how to run an election campaign. The last time Sinn Féin candidates had stood, I think, was in 1964, and that was when we were a banned party. So we had to learn fast. We had plenty of of help. I I remember the great Kerry sportsman and Republican Joe Cahan came up and helped. Owen Curran from Fermanagh was Bobby's election agent. Many others like Bernadette, local nationalist with the electoral experience and supporters of the prisoners from the south, they all played key roles. Hundreds of activists mobilised across the north to join in the work of postering, handing out leaflets, canvassing on the doorsteps. We opened up two offices, one in Enniskillen and the other in Dungannon. And they never closed during those long election days. We galvanised, actually Bobby galvanised, the people in Fermanagh and Tyrone, and they responded with great commitment. I spent most of the, if not the entire campaign, in the constituency. I was rarely at home. I met scores of great people in the midst of all the activity I enjoyed, the wonderful beauty of these two counties. And those areas also had a, a strong tradition of keeping the electoral register updated. 
quiet community people, individuals who worked away for years in the background, they came forward. Their experience was invaluable. We learned about presiding officers, personation officers, how to campaign, and it was exhilarating. They also had the tradition of after-mass meetings. You'd arrive outside a chapel and when the mass was over and folks were coming out, we'd talk to them about the hate blocks in our mad women's prison and the conditions the political prisoners had been forced to endure for five years. And most people would listen attentively and then applaud. On the eve of the poll, I was convinced that Bobby was going to be elected. I stayed overnight in Enniskillen and then crossed the border to Clonus. The next day to report to Rory O'Braddock, then Ochtaron of Hinfein, who was barred from entering the north. And I told Rory that I thought that uh, Bobby was across the line. And I drove then across the country to meet with uh, Colette. I hadn't seen her in some time. And I heard the news on the car radio. Bobby Sands had won the election. I was ecstatic. I shouted with exuberance to the cattle and the sheep in the fields adjacent to the country road I was travelling on. I remember since being told how the prisoners in the blocks got the news. And Shana, our great friend and leader, Shana Walsh, tells her that was the only time he cried during the stalk. And in Belfast, thousands came out into the streets in spontaneous demonstrations of solidarity with the hunger strikers in the blocks, the women in Armagh, and throughout the other prisoners, sorry, throughout other prisons, POWs were ecstatic. Bobby Sands topped the poll with 30,492 votes. The British government and opposition, followed enthusiastically by the media, had constantly maintained that Republicans, and especially the hunger strikers, represented nobody, that they enjoyed no support that Republicans were criminals operating by intimidation, that they were isolated fanatics. And now that lie had been exposed. The British propaganda campaign had been refuted and the election victory resounded internationally. Bobby's success raised the hope among some that the British government would move to end the hunger strike by reforming the prison regime. I did not share that hope. In my view, Thatcher and her government were convinced that the prisoners could be broken and through them the struggle for freedom. And they were not for changing policy. For our part, Republicans had been challenged for years to submit ourselves to the ballot box and now we had done so, demonstrating massive popular support in the election. Yet the British government, the Thatcher government, as we had feared from the outset, showed no willingness to make concessions about the prison protest. Margaret Thatcher maintained her inflexible approach and despite all the earnest assurances of their envoys, the Dublin government did nothing to shift her. 
The Pramana South Tyrone by-election was one of those rare moments when, as Seamus Hooney once put it, hope and history rhyme. Bobby Sands had a bigger mandate than Margaret Thatcher. The success of Bobby's campaign led to the decision to stand prisoner candidates in the southern general election a few months later. Kieran Dock became a TD, so did Paddy Agnew, and others like Joe MacDonald and Maria Farrell performed very well. Oren, Owen Curran was elected MP for Fermanagh South Tyrone after Bobby's death. These elections opened up the debate around electoral interventions that was already going on within Sinn Féin and ushered in a new political strategy and all that has flowed from it since. All of this as a consequence of the courage of the blanket men, the hunger strikers and the Armagh women. So Shine Akarja, Chifime Shibsha Arish, Gunyuri and Ta Libsha. And here we have Francie Anand Brawley's iconic I wear no convicts uniform. I am a proud young Irish man in Ulster's hills. My life began a happy boy through green fields ran and kept God's and man's laws. But when my age was barely ten, my country's wrongs were told again by tens of thousands marching men and my heart stirred to the cause. So I'll wear no convict uniform, nor meekly serve my time. That Britain might brand Ireland's fight eight hundred years of crime. I learned of centuries of strife, of cruel laws, injustice right. I saw now in my own young life the fruits of foreign sway. Protesters threatened, tortured, maimed, division nurtured, passions flamed, outrage provoked, rights cause defamed, this is the conqueror's way. I'll wear no convict uniform, nor meekly serve my time. That Britain might brand Ireland's fight, it hundred years of crime. 
descendant of proud Connacht clan. Concannon serves cruel Britain's plan. Man's inhumanity to man has spawned a trusty slave. No strangers are these bolts and locks, no new design these dark each blocks. Black Cromwell lives while Mason stalks the bully taunts the brave but I'll wear no convict uniform nor meekly serve my time that Britain might grant Ireland's fight it hundred years of crime Does Britain need a thousand years Of protest, riot, death and tears Or will this past decay of fears Of eighty decades spell an end to Ireland's agony New hope for human dignity And will the last obscenity Be the spring each block cell But I'll wear no convict nor meekly serve my time That Britain might brand Ireland's fight Eight hundred years of crime